For those of you who don't know me, my name's Tim. Uh, <laughs> towards the end of last year, I nearly died approximately three times, um, but God brought me through. So I'm here today to tell you the story of what happened, what God did in me, and what he's still doing. Um, as Kate alluded to, uh, married to the incredible Jem, we have two daughters. Sorry, save that for later. Isn't it? <laughs> Sp spoiler alert. Um, yeah, we've got two daughters who are aged eight and five, uh, whom I'll refer to through this story. Uh, but before I begin, I want to say an enormous thank you to all of you. We and my parents, who unfortunately aren't here today, um, we felt so supported and surrounded in this time of extreme trial. We've seen the Father's heart of love for us displayed through you, the body of Christ. From meals cooked for us, to hospital visits, babysitting, lifts, texts to check in, and most importantly, prayer. The stories of unceasing prayer that I've heard have been phenomenal, and no doubt the reason I'm standing here today. Just like the friends that carried the paralyzed man to Jesus, you brought me to him, and you tore a hole in the roof with your prayers to get me there, so thank you. I'd like to start by just playing part of a worship song um, that really spoke to me during this time. So I think we've got it on the video. If the just the short one, first one. enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said you are mine. Oh, the enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said you are mine. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus been the story of the last six months of our lives. But as I thought about it more, I realized it's in fact been the story of the last six years. So back in October of 2017, I was diagnosed with a congenital heart valve issue that could only be fixed with open heart surgery by, to insert a mechanical heart valve. The issue had gone unnoticed for 30 odd years and was picked up by chance by my GP, as I'd only gone because I had a persistent cough and I suspected a chest infection. As she was listening to my chest, she noticed a considerable heart murmur. Following a number of further tests and scans, it became clear that surgery was quite urgent. Otherwise, I was likely to suffer heart failure. 
In fact, the surgeon delicately summed it up by saying that either I have the surgery now or I'll be lucky to see 40. The enemy thought he had me. But this seeming time bomb that had been set inside me for years was now going to be fixed. I ended up having the surgery in December 2018, Christmas number one in hospital. The surgery was successful and things quickly returned to normal. Then in November of last year, I was admitted to the QE, having gone into A&E with flu-like symptoms, lethargy and significant pain in my right arm. I knew that something wasn't right and it was going to need more than a LEMSIP. <laughs> After being assessed and struggling to get a reading on my blood pressure because it was so low, I was immediately put in to an induced coma. During this time, I had no clue what was going on. I just had some very strange dreams and hallucinations. What was in fact going on was that the doctors were rushing to establish what was wrong with me, as nothing seemed obvious upon my admission. It was quickly determined that I was suffering with sepsis, but the source of the infection and what had caused it remained a mystery. As my vitals continued to deteriorate, the doctors had exhausted almost every avenue. In fact, they called my whole family into hospital to tell them that they had reached their ceiling of care and that I was unlikely to be coming home. It looked like the enemy had me. The doctor's primary hope lay in removing the necrotizing fasciitis that they had identified as the source of the pain in my right arm. By the way, if there are any medical conditions that I talk about that you don't know what they are, feel free to ask me. Um, I would say go home and Google them but it may give you nightmares. <laughs> anyway, necrotizing fasciitis is a bug that causes the fascia, which is the fleshy bit under the skin, to die. And it rapidly spreads, and it can be fatal. And the only treatment is to remove it. In my case, this would be done through a number of surgeries and ultimately a skin graft. As a message went out, calling the church to pray and stand against the plans of the enemy, there were a number of words of hope that were brought, likening what I was going through to Daniel's friends when they were thrown into the furnace, but Jesus was with them, and they emerged not even smelling of smoke. Eventually it was established that I had invasive strep A, and that had led, me, that had led to the sepsis. Knowing what the problem now was, the doctors were able to get me on the right medication to start fighting the infection. Suddenly, Jesus had said, you are mine. However, the location of the infection was still unknown, as following the successful surgeries on my arm, the infection was not reducing as quickly as anticipated. As I started to come round from the coma, however, I learned that I couldn't move my right arm because of all the surgeries and because it was in a thick cast-like bandage. And I couldn't move my left arm because I'd actually suffered multiple strokes down the left-hand side of my body whilst I was in the coma. My feet and toes as well had suffered incredible nerve and circulation damage as a result of all the adrenaline that I'd been on to keep my blood pressure up. Right arm, left arm, and feet. 
What a wake-up that was. I was very confused and still didn't have much of a clue where I was or what was going on. At one point, in fact, I was complaining to Rob and Tom, who had come to visit me, about this really weird clock on the wall that I could see, that it didn't have proper numbers and it definitely had three hands. I quickly realized that I didn't have my glasses on. <laughs> no, no wonder everything looked a bit blurry. So that was one easy fix, at least. <laughs> but even in this time of confusion, I knew that God was with me. I was also convinced during this kind of half-waking, half-sleeping time that I was traveling the world. It was great. I went to Mexico, went to Australia. I even went to Qatar for the World Cup. <laughs> but in each of these places, I was always sick and in a hospital bed. So they weren't such great trips after all. But with the help of the right antibiotics, my body was starting to fight the infection. I was starting to feel better, but as I said, the infection was still not reducing as quickly as the doctors had hoped, and they were concerned that they hadn't located its source. It was at this point that our fears were realized when it became apparent that it was actually lodged in my mechanical heart valve. I learned that no amount of antibiotics will shift infection from artificial tissue and it was determined that the only option would be to remove the valve and replace it with a clean one. Unfortunately, a heart valve redo is a risky surgery on a healthy person, let alone me who was still being fed through a tube and was completely immobile. Once again, it looked like the enemy had me, as the cardiologist explained to Jen that I was unlikely to make it through the surgery as I was so weak, and were all my affairs in order. They also advised Jen to bring the girls in to see me, as this may be the last opportunity to do so. I just want to take a moment here to publicly recognize and thank Jen for what she's been through. I've said it a number of times that she probably got the tougher end of the bargain, having to watch me go through all of this but you've been absolutely incredible. You've shown all of us that your love for him runs to your core. And when knocked, this is what has come spilling out. Thank you for not throwing in the towel, but continuing to pray and pull me through this with your prayers. So amazingly, we were able to delay the surgery a couple of weeks, mainly due to the Christmas break slowing everything down. Christmas number two in hospital. This meant that I was able to keep getting stronger to the point where the doctors felt I had a better chance of surviving the surgery. The risk of not operating, however, was that the bacteria that was now growing on my heart valve would detach and could cause a major stroke. One night before the surgery, I was in my room feeling very alone. I prayed that I would know God closer. I really needed to hear his voice or see an angel or just know his arms around me. Instead, I felt joy. Joy, seemingly the most inappropriate feeling of, at this time. 
I was in a hospital bed, barely able to move, facing risky surgery ahead of me. I couldn't explain it, but I knew that everything was going to be okay. I guess he knows what we need better than we do. And in hindsight, I've realized the joy of the Lord is our strength. I knew the risks of the surgery, and I knew that there was no alternative, but no one had actually told me when it would be taking place. Then one Thursday afternoon, the surgeon came over and went through everything with me again. Any questions? He asked. I queried his intended timeline. I'd like to operate tomorrow, came his response. Tomorrow? I went into full panic mode and quickly fired off some texts, and Jen and the girls were able to come and visit later that afternoon. That evening, although somewhat anxious, I again felt the peace of God come on me. I knew he had brought me this far safely, and that he would see me through. The next day, I went down for surgery about 8 a.m. Jen recalls praying for me and seeing the operating theater full of angelic wings. As I saw the anaesthetist, just before I went under, I said to him, take care of me, won't you? He said, I'll be watching you like a hawk. <laughs> 13 hours later, about 9.30 p.m., the surgery was finished. The next morning, they started to bring me back around. I remember waking up, staring at the ceiling of intensive care, still unable to move, but trying to scan my surroundings. I remember thinking, this isn't good enough to be heaven. <laughs> but it definitely isn't bad enough to be hell. <laughs> So, I must be alive. <laughs> I must have made it. The waves of relief and gratitude that rolled over me as I realized I had survived. Woo. And the doctor covering me that day recalled taking my breathing tube out and my first words being, I'm alive. <laughs> the surgery had turned out to be a success. And very timely, as the amount of infection on my heart valve turned out to be far greater than the doctors had picked up in the scans. I was in much greater danger than anyone had realized. If the surgery hadn't been as soon as it was, I would have likely suffered some significant effect. Again, at the point where the enemy thought he had me, Jesus stepped in and said, you are mine. Once the source of the infection had been removed, my body started responding at a miraculous pace. I've been told to expect several weeks in intensive care as my body recovered. But every day, the nurses and doctors looking after me were amazed at the number of drugs they could turn off and tubes they could remove from me. In the end, I was in intensive care for a total of six days before the doctors agreed that I no longer needed to be there and that I could be taken to the ward. In that time, 
I'd not only started moving again, but was walking and sitting out in a chair. In fact, the speed of my recovery was confounding the doctors. They were all expecting things to go much more slowly, but instead I became a bit of a hospital celebrity. <laughs> so, something everyone aspires to be, I'm sure. <laughs> Some of the doctors who had treated me in the early days wanted to come back and see me as rumor of how quickly I was improving spread through the hospital. I put this entirely down to the power of prayer. After eight weeks in mostly noisy, busy wards with no natural light, I was then moved into a private room on the seventh floor with an enormous window looking out across the city. The penthouse, as I like to call it. <laughs> it was amazing to watch the sunrise and get some quiet at night to sleep. This felt like such a blessing after all that I'd been through. There were, in fact, a number of multi-bedded rooms on that ward, so it really felt like God's favor to get a private room. On this ward, they also had very relaxed visiting rules, so I was able regularly to see Jen and the kids, which was wonderful. Approximately two weeks after I was moved onto the ward, I was ready to be discharged. Those of you who have stayed in hospital will know how hard it can be to get discharged sometimes. On the 2nd of February, after what felt like my longest day in hospital, as we were waiting around for all the paperwork to get sorted, I came home. It was so surreal to be leaving, seeing daylight again, feeling fresh air again. Everything so, seemed so novel and so wonderful. Now, there are too many miracles in my story for it just to be good luck or coincidence that I'm still alive. According to my research on the internet, one in four people with sepsis don't survive. One in five people with necrotizing fasciitis die. 51% of people with infective endocarditis, which is where your heart valve gets um, infected, don't 51% uh, of those people in hospital don't survive. One in seven people with acute strokes in hospital die, with disability being very common among those, survive, those who survive. Now, I'm not sure what happens to those odds when you combine all of them. <laughs> but as my cardiologist, who saw me from the beginning, said, he thought that 90% of people would not have survived what I went through. This is the miracle. I should not have survived, but I did. As I was preparing this testimony, I realized that it's not really just my story. Because although I was the one who was ill, I was in a coma for much of it. And so I've really relied on the story of those of you who are praying for me at this time. So really, this is our testimony. And I'm aware of a number of stories of family members and friends who have either been brought back to church or shown an interest for the first time as a result of hearing my story, my story being shared. Whilst it wasn't fun for me going through it all, I love hearing your stories of being able to talk to others about what God has been doing. Another miracle was with work and finances. 
Many of you know that I work in the house building industry, although based on my physique, clearly not actually building the houses. <laughs> now the house building industry is renowned for being fairly ruthless and cutthroat. Some of you will know that I recently changed jobs to work for one of the biggest PLCs in the sector. I started my new job back in August, so I was in fact still on my probation when I went off sick. Technically, I was entitled to one month's sick pay, and really they could have just let me go if they wanted to. Instead though, my new boss went straight to the board <clears throat> to get my sick pay extended and met with Jen, in part to reassure her that the job wasn't going anywhere and that they would support me any way they could. A couple of weeks later, two large boxes full of cook-ready meals arrived on the doorstep with a note from the team. Interestingly, Jen and others have wrestled with God over this because the circumstances that had led me to getting the job had been so miraculous. Why would God have given it to me if I was just going to die six months later? In fact, we've seen more financial provision over this time than we have ever known. Whilst being off sick from my new job, I also received a pay rise and a discretionary bonus. <laughs> this so practically demonstrates the Father's heart of love for us. To not have the additional burden of worrying about job security or income over this time has been utterly amazing. As I came home, however, I had no idea that the hard work was only just beginning. In hospital, I was probably spending 20 hours a day in bed and then four hours a day in the chair next to my bed. So coming home, having to get up and down the stairs multiple times a day, having to get into the car for appointments, having nurses come to the house to administer IV antibiotics, it all felt like a lot. Whilst my spirits were up in the honeymoon period, if you like, after coming home, physically I was still exhausted, still needing to spend a lot of time in bed. Now, four months in, I feel like I've a lot more energy, I have much greater use of my hands, and I've started a phased return back to work. Also, amazingly, the strokes that I suffered don't seem to have, any, have had any long-term effect, either physically or mentally, which is just incredible. My feet are still causing me pain due to the nerve damage, and the wound's still healing, but I'm learning to live knowing it should only be temporary. So what have I learned from all this? <laughs> and how has it changed me? Well, I know more than ever that God is good and can be relied on all the time. He is totally in control. The same God that we experience in the good times on the mountains or in the quiet pastures, he's still with us in the valley. I've known him close to me at those times 
when I felt most alone. And because of this, I know I can trust him whatever happens next. On my first few weeks back to church, I found that I couldn't stop crying in worship as suddenly the songs about God's goodness or him rescuing us suddenly took on new meaning and had a depth to them that I had never known before. I could suddenly see quite how good he was. He had saved my life. I've been utterly floored by this revelation. I've learned that the joy of knowing, sorry, I've learned the joy of knowing that we are never alone when we're in the church family. We have been amazed at how many of you have stepped up when we've needed you most and provided such practical care and support and continual prayer. It's the reason that, there's a reason the church is called a family and not just friends. I've learned to practice what you preach. For years I've been captured by the father heart message of God, which in short is that God is our good father. He knows us intimately. He's called us to intimacy, but the devil is always trying to separate us and the battle is real. Um, and again, I'd just like to publicly honour my own parents here who, as I say, they're not here, unfortunately, they're visiting my brother. They're on Zoom. Ah, they are here. Hi. <laughs> so this Father Heart message is a message that I've been brought up with, not only through my dad's amazing example of our Heavenly Father's love for us, but also through their unceasing pursuit of his presence. I know this has been the foundation that has held fast in this time of trial. So thank you. So knowing and believing that God is our loving, caring Father who holds all things together is the head knowledge. But practicing the discipline of choosing to believe this every day is when it becomes embedded in our hearts. This is what equips us for when we are really put to the test. Although I will have physical scars from this time, I know that emotionally and spiritually I am left not even smelling of smoke because of the certainty I have that this was the enemy's work and it was the Father's intervention that saved me. Many doctors and other health professionals I've seen have commented on my positive attitude, struggling to grasp why I'm not more angry or depressed at what I've been through. My response is always the same. Yeah, but I could have died. Knowing that he is the one who preserved my life. This has been the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith in action together. They've prevented me from the emotional scarring that can often come with this sort of trauma. I'm so grateful to have been wearing them throughout this time, and I encourage you to do the same. I've also learned that miracles don't always come as we would expect them. We prayed so hard that the infection would go from my heart valve and that I wouldn't need surgery. 
But seemingly, we didn't see that prayer answered. In hindsight, I think he had answered it already with one of the leading heart valve surgeons who was able to undertake such a complicated operation successfully. From this, I've learned to keep at praying wholeheartedly despite disappointment. It may well be that the answer to prayer or the miracle is actually provided through human hands. This doesn't mean that it isn't, sorry, this doesn't mean that it isn't God working through these people. I think I get disappointed too easily when I don't see prayers answered in the way that I expect. So finally, my journey clearly isn't over. So how do I face my daily suffering with hope? The joy of the Lord is my strength. When I don't feel joyful, I draw on his grace by remembering all those times I have known the joy of the Lord. All those worship times, weekends away, conferences and life group meetings. I'm encouraged by all those intimate moments I have spent with him. This helps me to endure the daily challenges that I face. The God of the mountain is the God of the valley. And it's knowing his father's love for me that sustains me. I'd love to just end by praying for a fresh encounter of the Father's love. Why don't, if you're able, please stand. Mm. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you've brought me through. I thank you that you have remained good throughout all of it. And I thank you that each one of us has situations, may not be as extreme as mine, may not be physical, may be mental or spiritual, but we've each faced those valleys and you have pulled us through. And I just pray now for a fresh encounter of the Father's heart of love for each of us. For those here who don't know that loving father, for those who have had issues, problems with their own fathers, we just pray release from anything that holds people back from knowing you. We pray that you'd break off any burdens, any baggage that people still carry from their own fatherly experience. And I just pray now for a fresh revelation of your love for us. That good Father, your unceasing, unswerving love that chases us down and is always good. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't know it, even when it comes through a way that we wouldn't expect or through a person that we didn't want to be involved in our story. We thank you, Lord God, that your ways and your thoughts are higher than ours that you see the beginning from the end and that you are in control of it all. We trust you. We love you. Yes, Lord God, so we just open ourselves afresh. We say, Holy Spirit, come. 
Reveal that heart of the Father to each person here now.